Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kikita Kaori. And today we have some news that may or may not take our full time. Um, Long-awaited news. Long-awaited news. If we have time, we might be getting to inheritance and stories. Yes. Uh, something that we've been going on about for a little while is when is Edge going to update its website? And the answer is round about now. Right. Well, a little, obviously, a little, little while ago as of this recording uh, and uh, as of you hearing it. But no, it's all up and going and there's stuff and everything. So we thought we'd tell you a little bit about what's up there. See if there, you know, share any news that there is on there that might not have been shared before. Uh, there's a little bit. Yeah. First of all, there are an, there's an area where it links to all of FFG's current games on the uh, drive through RPG website. So you can purchase them and also has some links to the uh, free dice rolling app for L5R and Genesis. So I paid for these. So now another free. Oh, well. I technically, yes, I remember now, I technically got five pounds worth of credit from somewhere and I spent it on the <laughs> FFG dice app. So yeah, I'm, I'm semi sort of with you, although technically I got it free as well, but it, <laughs> not, oh, well. yeah. <laughs> it's just some ice cream i guess <laughs> I, I have to say for a lot of people the dice have been a bit of a barrier to the game and it will cost you a fair amount to get just a blister pack of dice mm -hmm. even though yeah, I mean, you got some free with the beginner box if you've got the beginner box and that kind of thing but but if you got a bit blister pack of dice it actually costs a certain amount and so I think making the dice app free is not a bad idea. No, I think it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, those of us who <laughs> spent money on it <laughs> a little grumpy, even if my case was just free money, but never mind. Uh, yeah, so so that's the thing. That's those are now uh, free to download for uh, your your mobile device of choice. <laughs> Talking about free, in addition, uh, there are a bunch of freebies that are pretty much almost all freebies that were available from the FFG site. So you have the existing free adventures that were created, uh, which is the Palace of the Emerald Champion and the Highwaymen and Wedding at Quixote Castle, as well as the Knotted Tales, Cresting Waves, Deathly Turns, Scroll and Blade uh, Packs. Uh, some of which are adventures and some of which are more, um, adventure seeds or other, other additional stuff, um, from the, uh, from the FFG site. Were these maps available? Sorry, I'm, I'm literally looking at it now and there are some maps available, which I don't remember being. Right. So there, that's not the only, only thing. So there are, Digital maps available, which are quite nice. Uh, there's a map of Rokugan. There's the Castle of Bright Dawn, which is the Emerald Champion's Castle. Last Breath Castle, 
it has a typo in there. It says it's from Courts of Stone. It's actually from Fields of Victory. So, mm. and the, there's the crab, scorpion, and unicorn game folios for the Topaz Champion beginner's box set. Yep, and a blank folio if you want to make your own for the beginner's box. Character sheets, including Path of Waves ones. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Yep. There's three kinds of character sheets. And there's an experience tracker, tracking sheet and a technique reference sheet and a 20 questions sheet. It says there's a session logs sheet, but it's missing. So get on that edge, I guess. And there's a bunch of GM resources. Uh, there's the, a wheel of discord sheet. If you don't remember what Wheel of Discord is, because I don't know of anyone who uses it at all, it's in Courts of Stone. It's a way of setting up campaigns to set Ninjo and Giri against each other. It's also called the Campaign Sheet in a different part of the website. Yeah. And there's a Court Sheet and an Army Sheet and a Create a School Sheet. So those are a bunch of freebies, most of which you've seen before in one format or another. But there you go. Yeah, I have to say, I think the organization is actually better than on the FFG site. It was actually a bit of a pain to find where these resources were sometimes on the old site. Just finding, you know, which, which thing you need to click open uh, to get to that particular section. So I think there's actually a slightly better organization. <laughs> uh, we also have some information on Adventures in Rockigan, venturing into Rockigan, which is largely information that we've already discussed because we had our interview with Max and Lydia not that long ago. So this is going to be focusing more on high adventure, tactical problem solving, and the, f- you know, the fantasy of being a little more than mortal. So make your own legend is a big aspect of this. Yeah, I did think it was interesting that, well, the team was listed on the site. So it said it's Sam Gregor Stewart, who's kind of been the head of L5R at, Ledge, at Edge, and we've interviewed him before. Max Brooke and Lydia Suen, who we've talked to before. Uh, Weldon Bringhurst has done a lot of the mechanics for this. And it did say that it was done with review and guidance by Katrina Ostrander. So Adventures in Rokugan has been done with review and input from the L5R story lead for FFG. So it's not like it's completely detached or anything. I know that that comment came up. Well, it's not being worked on by Katrina, who on it actually understands L5R. Well, it is being worked on by Katrina, and it says so on the website. Yeah. And I actually quite, it, it, I find it interesting, because I don't see a great many role-playing games, really small indie ones, that kind of say, here's our team. And I, I, I like that. I like that they're doing that. Yeah. It has the players selecting species in Adventures in Rokugan. You can be either human or one of numerous other species. And it lists one of the species you could be as being an animal yokai, uh, which are animal spirits that appear as human. And it gives fox, bat, and otter spirits are highlighted. So I have wagers on uh, Robert Denton having something to do with the selection of those those three that's just but uh these spirits can appear as humans 
And they also have an animal-based invocation that they can do if your species is uh, animal yokai. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of neat. I'll be interested to see what other people you can be. Hmm. You know, are they going to be Tengu? Are they going to be Naga? Are they going to be Nezumi? Yes, there are other non-human species known. There are Nezumi and Naga, and there are some we don't know, so we will find out. All, all stuff to look forward to. And uh, we also have a preview, or at least uh, an image of a page, with a pilgrim class who's looking very warrior monkish, tough, and with the ability to heal others. And people have been like, like, Zooming in and enhancing and, and doing all their CSI rock again, furiously typing on keyboards while yelling, enhance! Because as we all know, that's how it works, uh, to glean what they can out of it. I have a, I have a commie powered hologram here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, it's all coming out in Q2 of 2022. So that's when Adventures of Rokugan is coming out. Yep, yep, yep. So it's all all good stuff to to look forward to. But what is scheduled to be slightly earlier in Q1, we're getting Writ of the Wilds. And that's going to be examining the inner workings of the esoteric dragon clan, amongst other things. It's going to be 144 pages, dragon clan and dragonfly minor clan, which is pretty much, I think, what, well, it's pretty much what everyone has expected. I can't remember if it was officially well, they announced could, they, they, they could make some other clan out of the blue. They did for Crane. That's true. <laughs> but Dragonfly makes the most sense. It does. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with the Dragonfly. Because are they, are they going to just be the doorkeepers or are they going to actually have their own thing? Which I would one, one would hope. They have new species and schools and techniques in the book, so it does have additional peoples. It has the Nizumi, Naga, and Tengu, which are different species, I would guess, and it does have the Yabanjin as uh, characters, I guess, which are uh, non-Rokugani people class. So that's all going to be in there. Um, in the Dragon Clan itself, it's got land and family descriptions for each family of the clan. And each family has their own traditions and schools of thought and roles. And they have locations and adventure seeds and NPCs for all of them. And the locations are Refuge of the Three Sisters, Iron Mountain Dojo, Serpent's Tail Mine, and Keen Eyes Strike Village. Yep. Lots of places to look at. It's going to be looking at... Temples, it's going to be looking at the role in the Empire, expands on the the stuff that's already been there. So different monastic groups, how to create and represent monastic groups, and also begin looking at physical locations like uh, the Wrath of the Kami and Mountain Song. So more interesting places for your player characters to make a mess of things. I mean, uh, have adventures. Indeed. And it does give you uh, a significant amount of the about the elemental imbalance problem and how to integrate aspects of that to your game. And I think this one is really 
really good. I think this is um, how you can sync your game into the current FFG timeline uh, very, very well. Uh, sometimes that's challenging. How do you how do you feel like you're in this period of Rokugan right now? And the elemental balance is a unique thing that you can throw into any modern-ish. And yeah, it doesn't have to be right modern. It could be because it's been going on for several years. So you can uh, have something in your game that starts and then accelerates over time. It's 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 a very cool idea. So I look forward to finding that. I'm very optimistic about Writ of the Wild. I think from from what I've read, it sounds like it has the possibility of being significantly better than the other uh, books. The other filling in some books. gaps, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's filling in some ba- gaps, but it's also you know what they've uh, and captured is is pretty big, but but more like. If Edge is, if Edge took it over and this is their first book, then they're trying to put in a a good show. Whereas FFG is may have been more. I feel like we have an obligation to fill in, you know, make one of these per clan without necessarily um, having anything to prove. This is this is Edge's first, and they may want to like make an extra effort on it i'm not in it's one of those things where although it's gone from one studio to another i don't know how much the team has changed and i don't know how much the because it's all it's all slightly confused by the existence of freelancers and so the maybe the freelancers i'm not really sure but i like the look of this i mean i hope you're right i mean it, it's it's always good when when someone has that extra motivation, like you say, like they've got to come out the gate and go, yes, this is our thing. And look, look, it's really, you know, this is what we're going to be doing from now on in, you know. Been, it's been a very mixed bag for me. I, I always have been getting totally hyped off the press before these books have come out and some have been really bitter disappointments and some have been, Oh, that's, that's a bit better than I expected. Like I really liked, um, fields of victory. I thought that that was really good. And I was really disappointed by courts of stone. So, I mean, Mm. Mm. (laughs) we'll just have to see. Well, I mean, ultimately Q1 2022. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I definitely want to have a look at it when it comes out. And uh, let's hope let's hope it, it's more on the uh, Fields of Victory side than the Courts of Stone side, <laughs> if you see what I mean. But obviously other people's opinions may vary. I'm, I'm sure there are some people who are the other way around. Either way, I hope it's everyone's new favourite book because that means that the line is good and strong, which I think is what we want to hear and what we want to feel. It is, I mean, th- things that are going to be very interesting is how do the new species like how are they done mechanically is going to be very interesting and how they fit into the vision of rock again and how they would fit into a game those are all going to be i think that that's that is going to really shape how it feels and how it works fingers crossed yep all right well moving on from talking about the new website and all the things we found on it uh, we were going to talk about a 
very frequent theme in the samurai dramas of which uh, you favor, right, Kumar? Uh, <laughs> which is secession. Uh, who gets to inherit the title and the lands and the status of the previous generation and the power. So this is a core part of a ton of samurai drama and, uh, in general, royal drama. So it's also in Chinese drama and that sort of thing as well. Um, so we've, yeah, it's, it's very common and, and kings and queens in Britain and all of that. <laughs> anyway. So we thought we'd talk about secession and uh, talk a little bit about how it's done in Rokugan. And probably not this week, but next week we will talk about how to integrate stories having to do with succession in your campaigns. All right. Secession is the transfer of leadership and property from one generation to the next. And it's always been a big source of historical drama, real life, and imaginary. There are different types of secession. Uh, the first kind and the oldest kind is called partible inheritance. And partible inheritance is splitting the property and leadership between the children uh, if there are more than one child. So this can be complete uh, equally divided between all of the children, or it can be what's called preferential in that as each child gets married and leaves the home and makes their own home, they get a share of the inheritance. And then when the parent dies, the chosen child, which can be either the oldest or the youngest, gets what's left or remaining with the parent that the parent was living off of when they when they die. So partible inheritance splits it all up. It is just as drama-ridden as every other kind of inheritance, but it also tends to break up the property and make it into smaller and smaller chunks, which is not very good for keeping large estates. So no. history has been inclined against it. <laughs> Because yeah, you you your faction effectively loses chunks because it goes off into some other person. There have been history. It's one of the reasons why the Irish potato famine happened because plots of land got split up into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and smaller parts, so that in the end, people only had very small plots of land. And the best thing to grow was potatoes because that got you the most per your tiny amount of land, which is great until something came along and killed all the potatoes. However, it is uh, when you have a large wilderness, uh, this is usually the oldest one because if you have a large wilderness, large areas of land, uh, it stops fights between your kids and you like all your kids equally, uh, unless you don't. Um, anyway. So that's partable in here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, if if your if your oldest can is expected to go out and forge their own destiny and clear some land on their own, then it's great. But if you've got this much land and you're not going to get any more, then yeah. So another very common one. This is probably the most common, I think, is primogeniture. That's passing from the parent to the oldest child. 
patrilineal would be oldest son and matrilineal will be oldest daughter. And you get ones which are just whatever the, whichever kid's oldest. So the oldest effectively inherits being the parent in a sense. And they may, it kind of all depends. Sometimes the youngest, the younger children are expected to go out and forge their own destiny. Sometimes the youngest children are expected to stay on the family farm and be part of the next generation. But I think, I think primogeniture is one of the, is kind of the one we are most used to. The crown prince, crown princess sometimes, whoever is oldest, they're the one who's going to inherit. And the same with, you know, your, your samurai <laughs> estates. Ultimogeniture is passing from the parent to the youngest child. And this is done because the expectation is that the older children will be leaving the house and going out and getting married, potentially joining other households. And therefore, it's the youngest child who is going to be at the home the longest and will therefore be the one who takes care of the parent. And therefore, they receive the parent's estates. Um, primogeniture is the oldest is is assumed to stay home and look after the parents but in ultimogeniture the yeah the youngest is the one who's still there last and they look after the parents yeah mm-hmm. yeah and agnatic primogeniture is passing to the closest blood relative based on degrees of closeness uh, which happens a lot when there's not you know a distinct parental parent child line um but you're you're going through nieces and nephews and other other things you it's like de- degrees of closeness from something very uh f- you know further spread out yeah it is used a lot as the backup like if you've got something that like either partible or primogenitor or ultragenitor like it's going to go to their children oh there aren't any okay who's next or there is so many children. So if you've got many, many children by many, many wives, you can look at the ones that's the closest, you know, the, the, the largest amount of the special blood. So this would be like Egyptian um, had, had that kind of thing. And as, as we will discuss later, there are often discussions about this, and those discussions can cause shall we say, interesting times sometimes, yeah. And the final one we're going to look at is inheritance by merit. And these can actually, like a lot of these things, there could be mixtures. There can be, like, normally you have primogenitor, but, or you have ultimogenitor, but. Inheritance by merit is whoever is going to be the best person to take over this role who is best at ruling who is best at you know if you're running a business who is going to inherit the family business if you're running if you're if you're a samurai lord who is in charge of a large amount of land who is going to be the best at that if you are a warlord who's having to defend your lands against attackers who's going to be the best not who's the closest relation who's the oldest child Who's the best at the specific skills that are needed for this specific thing? And that is sometimes like you've got a a normal, it's oldest child, except 
if the ruler says, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but your, your younger sister is way better than you. So she's going to be in charge, that kind of thing. But sometimes that's just how it's, it's done. That is the official method. And everything else then becomes a backup. So in Japan, it was traditionally a strong uh, male-chosen primogeniture inheritance. Women did not inherit hardly at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those oldest son, oh, well, I suppose, if there aren't any actual sons, which is... uh, They they probably skipped over an awful lot of really potentially good rulers, sad to say. Yes. (laughs) Up through the early Edo... It was among the samurai. It was chosen to be the most capable. It was inheritance by merit, uh, as chosen by the father. So the, your most capable warlord son would be chosen by the father. Uh, so if you had a son who was a, you know, poet, um, who was your oldest child, you would pick the one that was more likely to beat things over the head. Good poetry, son. You keep doing that. You just keep doing... Poetry. Yeah. In the late Edo, this was shifted so that it was always the oldest son, pretty much. I mean, it was slightly more complicated because it it kind of went right in the... Interestingly, in the kind of Heian period, whereas imperial rule... And, and the earlier, the earlier imperial rule, the inheritance was generally went to oldest brother or next oldest because the, the oldest would, would rule and then the next oldest. So you actually got a few reigns of emperors that are quite short because generally the difference between in age between you and your next oldest sibling is a few years as opposed to 20 to 30 years between you and your oldest child. So that was, that was an interesting setup. And then there was a very strong, where it, where it was, it was the family is all about who is the closest relative. Then it kind of shifted towards a kind of household, like the house of not so much. We, we still call them samurai clans, but you talk to Japanese historians, they start saying, Oh, it wasn't a clan, not anymore. It was like a house. Like the House of Stark, the like Game of Thrones, House of Stark, House of Lannister. And so you could literally um, adopt people in to be your heir, specifically because you think they would be a good next uh, generation lead. Mm-hmm. Now, part, part of the driver for this kind of inheritance in Japan is that in the noble families, whoever they might be, all of the children lived under the parents' roof even after they were married. So, so it w- women would marry into their husband's house. All right. And so all of the sons would still live under their father's roof. So if you have all the sons still under your, your roof, um, barring being kicked out for some reason, then having the oldest Oldest son, you know, obviously makes sense. He's the oldest there. This is different in Mongolia. So a lot of things that we model in the unicorn are from Mongolia. Uh, so in, in Mongolia, it is the youngest son. They, they use the ultimate genitor, uh, who inherits a father's t- tents because the wealth of 
the people in Mongolia, more powerful, is mobile. It's cattle. It's not land. The land belongs to everybody. The land is just there. Your wealth is in your cattle. And it's really easy to divide cattle. <laughs> they go off and make more cattle. So, so they definitely, when you were married in Mongolia, you would get a share of your father's and mother's livestock and you'd go riding off into the wilderness in your own direction. And uh, therefore, the person who gets the father's tents is the person still left living with them when they die, which is the youngest son. Probably very strongly, it's like, can you just go out and have more land to live in? That's going to be, that's going to tend towards one setup. Whereas if, if you're on a, in a, in an enclosed area, like an island or Rockagan, which is very strongly bounded on all four sides, and there isn't, there just isn't spare land for you just go and get. There isn't the huge steps to go and ride off into and feed your, your herd of horses. Well, unicorn lands are pretty beefy. Unicorn, yeah, which is why the unicorn lands, they may do things differently. Yeah. So some of your your more moto unicorn could well do it that way yes and inheritance in china i i i i have to say when we talk about inheritance in china you're talking thousands of years of history right <laughs> really really huge amount of geography multiple dynasties many of whom ate each other and then fell apart, and then the various bits fought against each other until someone else. It's almost like when you say inheritance in China, there's, there is so many different Chinese periods of history that it's like pretty much everything. They did almost everything at some point. Absolutely. It, it, it varied a lot, depending on the time and region. Uh, there was a lot of partable inheritance, where it's split, a lot of oldest son inheritance, a lot of oldest son of the oldest son because you know lifespan was pretty good uh so that happened too uh and and youngest son inheritance all being all being common usually a share unlike japan china had a lot more space than japan period and so some of the dynamics that happened because happened because japan was so space uh, especially good agricultural kind of space confined as opposed to China. Uh, so in China, a share is more generally given to a child when they married and left. And who remains in the home, whether it's the oldest or the youngest, uh, is the one who gets the family estate. China also had, for a lot of its ancient history, uh, status more likely being given in terms of being awarded from somewhere higher up, often through exams or things like that. So if you or father had a status, a certain title, that doesn't mean if you're the oldest child or anything, you automatically get that title, right? That's a more Japanese thing than than Chinese. So, you know, you if you want that same title, you have to pass the exam or you have to kiss up to the right higher up or something like that i mean having said that being the child of the high status person means you do have a leg up oh absolutely but, it, but it's not automatic 
Right. It's not because your parent died and left it to you. It's because you're, you were able to have all the connections so that they wanted to give it to you, which is a little, little different. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's real world historical stuff. But I don't know. How much do we care about real world? No, rock again. What's going on in rock again? Pretty much any any and all all of these <laughs> at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I think like it, it can vary. It can vary between clans. It can vary between capital F fam, the great clan families like Kakita and Kitsuki, and that. It can also vary between individual families like the Vassal families and this individual branch of this individual family. You know, it can all change. The, one of the bigger changes is that Rokugan is more equal between the sexes than the real world is generally, and certainly as the real world tended to be in the past. So inheritance is less likely to be gendered than your typical historical textbooks or your typical fantasy. Uh, that, as, as we just said, it varies. So places like the Matsu are going to have different opinions to, say, the Hida or the Kakita and so on. I would say that in Rokugan, you've got... This works best, I think, in Rokugan, if you don't consider this as an area where the law has anything to find, right? It's not passed on because of legal legally in any one way or another. It's all been given because... Before the laws were written, there was such a variety of how heirs are chosen that there is no imperial law that your players can go in and say, ah, well, the law says it should be this person, and therefore the conflict is over. I suspect that's going to depend a whole heap. Like, there may not be an overarching imperial law. Individual clans may do. Right. Uh, or indifferent. so what you would have be looking at then is does this clan have it or more relevantly what is the tradition what does this what does the weight of the tradition of this family say should be make it make it more soft and squishy so that you can have more conflict or more more confusion and and not have it all cleanly laid out because it's not cleanly laid out in the modern world. So, you know, why would it be cleanly laid out in, in your clan? However, uh, clan championships are the biggest and most obvious thing that you could potentially inherit from one generation to the next. Yeah, um, except like the, the emperorship, but I don't think that's going to be something your player characters are going to, you, know, you could be emperor. I don't think uh, that that's a lot of, a lot of advantage points there. Well, right now we have defined traditionally that the emperorship goes from father to oldest son. We don't have enough background to say, whether it goes to firstborn, whether it's oldest son or daughter, I would say in New 5R, it probably goes to firstborn, oldest son or daughter, barring the father deciding that it should go to somebody else. It's not always ruled on merit. It's 99% ruled on just primogenitor straight. But 
as we saw, exceptions happen and then... Then you get stabbed. <laughs> yes. So that's the expectation for Imperials. But the clans have different ways of determining who gets to be clan champion. And they're all different. So I thought we'd take a brief tour through those. And then uh, we can talk about how we have problems with secession next week. Mm. So with the Crab Clan, it's generally passed to the oldest child. But as we have mentioned, this can be changed if the current ruler, the current champion, considers one of their other children, or potentially someone else, to be the best candidate. It is assumed that once rulership is committed, it is absolute. So if if Kisada says this person is inheriting, that's that. And when they inherit, they are the clan champion and you do what they say, which is pretty much, uh, I can't remember who's oldest out of the three Kisada kids. Hida Yakumo. Yeah, because he's not inheriting, is he? I don't think. Uh, well, Kasada is not dead yet in the storyline. Um, however, Kasada has designated his youngest child, uh, Hidas Kune, as being the de facto champion, at least until he, he returns. And, and probably if Kasada were to die, like right now, then Hidas Kune would be clan champion. Yeah, so that's kind of, it's assumed to be oldest child unless specified otherwise. And you, you're expected to just, they are now the champion, that's it. Now in old 5R, it was old, oldest child. Absolutely. Uh, for the crab. Now in crane, it looks like the champion is completely in charge of the crane. However, the champion is really, uh, the tiebreaker and the penultimate vote in a council made of the heads of each of the families. Uh, but the council has been so suppressed, uh, it doesn't really differ or is visible beyond the decisions of the champions. And I don't know any time that it's ever made a difference in the story, though there have been disagreements between the heads of the families before that have, you know, people have gone to and said this is the civil war um so it's it's a little bit more independent than the way that crab like locks down because it's it's a council the champion is selected via tournament but the tournament is extremely limited into who can enter they have to be direct descendants of doji uh so part of the family they have to be approved by the council or chosen and this usually ends up, well, this has always ended up that the champion of the Crane Clan has been a Bushi uh, so far. There has been cases where it hasn't in um, Old 5R, but they have to be able to succeed. They have, they've, they've just always been a Bushi in the Crane Clan, which people might think was a little odd because uh, of how... Um, courtly and stuff the crane are but they're always a bushi because they have to win this this championship um now the crane are perfectly happy to put in a ringer so they can say this you know the only person who could possibly win this tournament is going to be this person who's the oldest child of the previous clan champion so basically yes it's one of those things where although technically 
it could be this thing, but the people in charge want their kids to be in charge next time around, so they will do what they can. Humans being humans, they'll do what they can. Now, now that's why. So that's why the Civil War is a little bit more. Basically, in the Civil War, what Kuwarna was saying is, I should have been able to be in the champion. You're unfit. We will duel and redo this this championship right now for the leadership of the clan. That's kind of what it is, you know. Or we'll at least duel, I'll kill you, and then we'll have another contest over the leadership of the clan. <laughs> Make me champion. So um so so that's kind of the the deal with the crane. Yeah. Moving on to the dragon, the championship is designated as the heir of Tagashi, the abbot of the High House of Light, which, as we know, is a monastic order. The I suspect this is one of the things, this is completely opaque to anyone outside, I suspect even the, the Togashi, let alone the dragon clan as a whole. Everyone, someone just shows up wearing the armor and says, I'm now the, the clan champion. Only they don't show up because they're up in the high house of light. But Togashi, it's a Togashi monk that the founder has chosen to be the heir long ahead of time. And as we have recently learned, they gain not just the position of abbot and the famous armor, but they inherit the insights and prophecy of Togashi, which is an interesting thing. <laughs> That's a big burden of rulership there. The rulership of the champion is very hands-off to the extent that the Miramoto are really the de facto rulers. But when they speak their statements are absolute. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand what they're doing. You do it. <laughs> you don't You don't have to understand, and you probably won't. Pr- protect the prince. <laughs> exactly. You do it no matter what, even if you don't understand, even if you think it's bad. You, you do it if you're dragon because the champion said so. The one thing I thought was interesting is that Everybody, even outside the dragon clan, knows who the heir is going to be, at least in this part. So everybody knows Tagashimitsu was going to be the heir, even though who, who the soul of Tsugashi or who chose that, we we don't know or how, but somehow everybody was told that. So <laughs> Yeah, maybe it is one of those things that they, they inform people about this, and then most people go, that's nice. I, that has no impact on my life whatsoever. But thanks for letting us know. <laughs> the Lion Championship is determined by inheritance by merit, but is heavily weighted towards primogeniture. And they kind of define their merit, as far as I can tell, by a claim by the Lion troops and commanders, generally regarding battlefield success. If you are a good battle commander... And your troops love you. The lion rank and file love you. And you're the oldest child of the previous, mm. you know, champion. Awesome. You're, you're or, or, or at least the closer you are, the more of those boxes you can tick. Right. Yeah. But if you are not popular, uh, it, it starts getting iffy and that's why that's the crack that Makatsuko was going she was in the chain of inheritance in in the lion clan is that even though 
Totori. So Totori was the oldest child. All right. Mm, and he wasn't he declared Ariso's heir. Right. I remember. So so Totori was the oldest child of the previous champion, as I as I understand it. But he was not um, considered as ideal, <laughs> ideal a lion as Ariso. So he was he was sent off to a monastery to go go study. And Ariso was the was the champion, um, and and was was the heir to the champion. And then when Ariso died. Well, he's back. He's still a, he's returned to the clan and he's a battlefield commander now. So he's back from the monastery, but it was that gap. Now he's not, he's the son of the heir, but he's not so popular. He's competent in leadership. He did very well, but he's not the warrior ideal. And it's that crack that Matsuzuko's going, I've got the warrior ideal. I've got the battlefield leadership and the claim of the troops and I'm the fiance of Arasu as opposed to you know his his brother therefore that's the claim that I am I am pushing that's why there is confusion in that line this does possibly explain why the lion fights so much because if you really really need battlefield experience and to be seen to be a good battlefield commander to get an inheritance or if that if that really helps your inheritance chances, you can see why individual line commanders would go, let's pick a fight. Because if, if they're all peaceful in that, then how are they going to prove themselves? Exactly. Now, there are differences inside the families for the lion. The Matsu are very matrilineal, and the Akoma are traditionally very patrilineal, which causes... The conflict with the unicorn on this particular uh, storyline is because by tradition, Ikoma always go to sons and women always marry into, yeah, mm. into the family. So this is, this is different. And, and same for the Matsu going to women. And then this causes the confusion like the unicorn. It's not that the, you know, that was a specific to the Ikoma family tradition there. So what happens when a Matsu wants to marry a, an Ikoma? Do they just kind of, does that like, you can just imagine, is, is, is this just kind of whirlwind of kind of like, so she goes, she goes there and he goes there and they just kind of. They never live together. They just live in each other's house. You, you harness them together and you make a generator. <laughs> <laughs> the lion probably have the most secession crisis on screen because of this way. Uh, leadership, however, does follow chain of command. So the lion are very aware of their own chains of command. And they aren't going to stand on the sidelines if their specific general is in a in a crisis. They're not going to go under they're not going to break their chains of command, but there's a whole bunch of troop, you know, there's like 10 legions or something like that of 10 armies or something like that in the lion. So, you know, there's a lot of these forces that could be fighting each other. Moving on to the Phoenix. The championship is defined by the spiritual succession of the soul of Sheba, which re resides in the sword of Hushikai. 
And so it's like, who among the Sheba family does that sword respond to? And people, it, yeah, there is a, a way that, yeah, oh, this person is now the new champion. And it's decided by the soul of Sheba. Now, it must be said that the actual leadership is done by the Council of Elemental Masters. They are selected generally by raw power. Although what was Shuken during the way it works, it's power slash knowledge slash being a good conduit, I suppose, to the spirits. But yeah, it's all that very complicated how, you know, you, you, it can be decided by a literal contest of strength. Yes. If you fight the old master, you can replace the master. Or if the master dies, then the old, the strongest one is. Yeah. Even if it costs you half your face. Yes. And um, I'm not, I'm actually curious as to how much that's known beyond the lands of the Phoenix. I'm not, I don't. I, I think that it's probably kept quieter if they can. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for most people, the, the person who wields uh, of Fushikai is the clan champion. And everyone just goes, Oh, that's a clan champion. And they don't necessarily know that the, the elemental masters, uh, the power behind the throne. That much is known everywhere that it's the elemental masters who are truly answered. Everyone knows that Sheba knelt. So that's not going to be a, a strange. Um, however, as a battlefield indicator, it will be the, the battlefield champion, which is the Sheba. Now in the scorpion, in old 5R, it was purely patrilineal primogenitor and it was a big source of Kachiko's the way she, the reason she is why she is, is because she was passed over as oldest child for the rulership of her family because she was a woman. In New 5R, it is primogenitor without preference, so it could be male or, or female oldest child. However, Kachiko was passed over for a specific reason. Um, basically there were omens and stuff that said she could not be her family's, um, daimyo. Instead, it was to, she was, she had to marry Bayushi Shoju, um, to save the empire. You know, there were, there were omens and supernatural stuff that caused her to drop out of the line of secession. And that was a big source of the insecurity. Not that she had. She never seemed to have a problem with it, but her brother had as champion because he knew he only got it because she passed it over because she was important and special in terms of the whole universe, and he was not. Now, in the Scorpion, rulership is considered absolute. You obey. <laughs> you are loyal. Uh, they pride themselves on it, except... Of course, under extreme circumstances, such as we have reached in uh, the new 5R storyline where everybody thinks that Shoju is, you know, assassinated the previous emperor and stuff. That might bring it into question. That counts as extraordinary circumstances, yeah. Yeah. And lastly, let's look at the Unicorn Championship. That's meritocratic primogeniture. So the child of the current champion who is best suited to the position is selected. But up until this point, it strictly remains with the Shinjo 
and specifically with the ruling family of the Shinjo, the, the tippy top of the Shinjo, which may or may not change. That changed in old 5R rather dramatically and all of a sudden. But right now, it's the best-suited child of the current champion. Don't think we've seen or had it mentioned what might happen if a champion does not have children, but I suspect it's going to be closest relative in that point. Closest uh, relative who is considered the best candidate. Right. So that's kind of how secession works in Rokugan. And I guess next time we will try and talk a little bit more about uh, how to turn that into campaigns. But that's it for us this week. <laughs> we did want to give a call out to Fortune and Strife, our affiliated actual play podcast, as well as our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, and our website, where you can find long-term information, such as summaries of our podcasts, RPG tools, articles, forums, and more. So if you are enjoying our podcast, please consider signing up for our Patreon. For our patrons, we've got special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more. We wanted to call out our patrons, Robert C., or uh, Elenius, William C., or Wild Talents, and Joshua C., or Asako Hikaru, Inquisitor. Thank you for being our patrons. You can find us online at our website, courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that is it for us this week. This is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Kova. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Gamers Roll.